Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of the Gospel Record of Luke. To the Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 11. The Gospel Record of Luke in chapter number 11. We've been walking through this Gospel Record and about halfway's done. It's a very detailed record. Remember that the author, Dr. Luke, was a medical doctor who majored in researching and he took time to research all of these to verify, to be able to talk to witnesses, to be able to put them down. And so because of this, the Gospel Record of Luke is the most detailed of the four Gospel Records. Now, now, as we are progressing, Jesus Christ has had an earthly ministry of about two and a half, three years, and now he is beginning to make his long walk from his base of Capernaum and beginning to make his long walk to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, as he's already told his disciples that he is going to be arrested, put on a false trial, he is going to be crucified, he is going to die, be buried in a borrowed tomb, and then rise again the third day. So when Jesus Christ is marching to Jerusalem, he already knows what is going to face him. He already knows what he is going to have to endure. And he already knows that the Pharisees are going to oppose him. And as we go through the gospel record of Luke chapter 11, as Jesus Christ is making his way, we're going to see the Pharisees oppose him more and more and more and more. And it's the, the temperature begins to rise. The tension begins to grow thicker. And we find this in the gospel record of Luke chapter 11. And notice with me in the gospel record of Luke chapter 11 and verse number 14. The gospel record of Luke chapter 11 and verse number 14. The Bible says this, and he was casting out a devil and it was dumb. And it came to pass when the devil was gone, the dumb spake. And the people wondered. But some of them said, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of devils. And others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto him, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also divideth against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. When a strong man armeth keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh all uh, from him all his armor, wherein he trusteth and divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me. 
And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came. And when he cometh, he findeth and sweepeth, findeth it swept and garnished. And he goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they shall enter in and dwell there. And the latter state of that man is worse than the first. And it came to pass as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that beareth thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. And he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a very declarative statement by the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel record of Luke chapter number 11? The gospel record of Luke chapter 11, and notice with me in verse number 23, this declarative statement, He that is not with me is against me. He that is not with me is against me. And with the Lord's help, we're going to explore this passage here and try to explain what is going on and this declarative statement that he that is not with me is against me. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, this is a very deep, heavy detailed, powerful passage here. And Lord, I know that I don't have the tools, the oratory skill. I don't have the brain power to be able to get across all of the power and all the, the majesty, the importance of this. But I know that your Holy Spirit does. So the best I know how I surrender myself to you and ask that you fill me with your spirit and that your spirit would have liberty in every life in here, that you would draw all people near, that you would make this clear, and that you would help us understand the battle lines, that you would help us to see what is meant by here, and that we would choose a side and wholeheartedly join you with that side. Lord, get victories in the lives of people today because of the preaching of your word. We need you. Thank you, Lord. And in your name we pray. Amen. As Jesus Christ is now beginning his march down, and he knows that he's going to be dealing with a whole lot of different obstacles. He's going to be dealing with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians. He's going to be dealing with the lawyers and the scribes. But he's also going to be dealing with a mass of people who are following after him and want to see him do miracles, that want to see a parlor trick, that want to be entertained by him, but have never made a decision to follow after him in the first place. And so as Jesus Christ is addressing inside of the context, he has Pharisees there, Sadducees, he has Herodotans, but he also has a crowd of people who are there. And with this declarative statement, with the crowd, with the masses, he makes the statement that he that is not with me is against me. Now, with that statement, we can see that there are clear battle lines drawn. You understand we're in a spiritual war. Without a doubt, we're in a spiritual war. And it is a very clear, distinct spiritual war. That we have what God and Jesus are trying to get accomplished. And by the way, we read the end of the book, and guess who wins? God wins. 
But we also have the forces of Satan who, by the way, are not equal. May I just go ahead and hit this really quick? That we don't live in a duology. Meaning, we don't have the idea that good versus evil and they have to keep a balance. There's no balance. Jesus Christ and God are above them, far above them. And Satan will be destroyed. And that there's no idea of trying to keep a balance. There is very clear good and there was very clear wickedness. And inside of this spiritual war, everyone has to pick a side. Every person picks a side. Every Christian has to pick a side. There is no neutrality inside of the spiritual war. And with this, Jesus makes a declarative statement about where you sit. And where you sit is not dependent on whether you're saved or not. Just because you're saved does not mean that you're on the Lord's side. There are many, many people who are saved and born again who are the enemies of God. I'll prove it to you in just a second. But Jesus makes this declarative statement that he that is not with me is present tense currently against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. Now, this idea of gathereth with me carries the idea that they're trying to see people come to know Jesus Christ. They're gathering in the harvest. If you are not actively, on purpose, currently working with Jesus in the harvest field, then by default you're against him and you're scattering the people. You're sending them further away. Now, that's a powerful statement. This isn't my statement, by the way. This is what Jesus says. May I give a further clarification of this statement in the, gospel, in the book of James? Hold your finger to the gospel record of Luke. We're coming back. But we need to hit the statement here that very clearly uh, backs up that same statement that Jesus said. The book of James chapter 4. Towards the end of your Bible, if you're going to be at the very end of your Bible, you would have Revelation, Jude, Second Peter, or 1 Peter, or sorry, <laughs> 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, 2 Peter, 1 Peter, and then the book of James. The book of James. The book of James in chapter number 4. In the book of James, chapter number 4, we see another powerful declarative statement. The first three verses of chapter 4 is talking about that we're asking amiss, that we're missing the mark. And then in chapter 4 and verse 4, another powerful declarative statement. Notice with me James 4.4. 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Now, let's define our terms. What are we talking about here? We're not talking about physical adultery. We're talking about spiritual adultery. What is spiritual adultery? Well, just like physical adultery, it's putting your love and affection to someone that it doesn't belong to. That's what adultery is. Putting love and affection to someone that doesn't belong to. Well, in spiritual adultery, you're putting your love and affection that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're taking the love and affection that belong to God and you're giving it to someone else. That's spiritual adultery. Do you know that you could commit spiritual adultery against God by loving yourself too much? This is a big deal. It says ye Adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is, present tense, enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is, present tense, the enemy of God. That is a powerful declarative statement. 
you say, but I'm not trying to be the enemy of God. Most people aren't. Then how do I become the enemy of God? It's not like I've decided to follow Satan. No turning back. No turning back. Well, how does this work? Well, God is trying to get something accomplished in this world. He has a will. He has a plan. And when we're not helping him with the plan, we're now in the way of his plan. And by default, because we're hindering what he wants to get accomplished, we are his enemies because we are preventing, slowing down, stopping what he wants to get accomplished in this world. What is his accomplishment? The book of uh, Luke where we were at before. What is God's purpose? The Son of Man is coming to seek and to save that which is lost. What is Jesus' plan? He's not willing that any shall perish, but all shall come to repentance. What is his plan? He wants everyone to hear about Jesus Christ. He wants everyone to be saved. And if you are not gathering, you are scattering. That's powerful plain language. Most people who are the enemy of God don't even know it. Because they said, well, I'm not, I'm not against God. God could do whatever he wants, but I'm just not helping out. I'm not telling people about Christ. I'm not reading my Bible. I'm barely faithful to church. Well, then you're in the way. Because people watch you. You know your neighbors know whether you showed up to church or not. You know people know how you speak, whether you're following God or not. And you're either drawing people closer to the Lord or you're sending them further away. You know what's wrong with our world today? The problem with our world is not Madison. The problem with our world is not Washington. The problem with our world is not Hollywood. The problem with our world is that there are no real Christians. People are tired of hearing about Christianity. They want to meet one. They want to see what they smell like, what they taste like, what they look like. They want to see one. And what happens is that we have a weak, anemic form of Christianity when someone says, oh man, I'm a Christian. <gasps> You're a Christian? I would have never known that. How? That's a horrible testimony. There are secret service Christians are not needed at this time. And there are people who don't follow after God and you are a horrible example of Christianity. I can't tell you how many people I go to that, you know, hey, we'd love to have you come in church. Do you know Jesus Christ, your personal savior? No, I met a Christian once. A Christian did me wrong. They did, and they blame that Christian. Now, it's their own fault. They need to make their own decision, but they use that as an excuse. I met a Christian who didn't behave like a Christian. I met a Christian who was bitter and angry. I met a Christian who didn't behave like a Christian. And what that is, is it scatters people further away from the Lord. And you understand, according to God's very words, you can be saved, meaning that you've come to the place where you realize that you are a sinner, and because of your sin that you've offended a holy, righteous God, but Jesus is your only hope, and you personally accept that Christ as your Savior, and still be the enemy of God, according to what Jesus says. Now, this is powerful stuff. You understand, most preachers won't preach this, but this is next up. We're just following what's next up. This is what the Bible says. And it is hard to hear because none of us want to consider this, that we're the enemy of God. All of us have, at least in our minds, some happy idea that Jesus and I are walking through the sunlight and through the things, and we're just as happy as happy can be. But in reality, we can be the enemy of God, that whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever doesn't gathereth, scatters. Whosoever shall be a friend of the world is the enemy of 
God. That's very plain language. No misunderstanding. That's plain language. So with that backdrop, let's turn back to Luke 11. And let's explore what this means even more. Christians pray. First of all, we understand that those that are not with him explain away his works. Those that are not with him explain away his works. Notice with me in verse number 14. And he, Jesus, was casting out a devil that was dumb. Now remember, back then that dumb isn't the way that kids use it today in the schoolyard. That word dumb means the, un, the inability to speak. So here's someone who's, who was um, possessed of a devil. And a side effect is that he couldn't speak for himself. He couldn't speak at all. And so Jesus cast out a devil of a person who was dumb. And it came to pass when the devil came out, the dumb spake. So he wasn't able to speak when the devil went away. He's able to speak. Praise the Lord. There was a miracle done. And watch this. The people wondered. Now, there's a difference between people wondering and people following after Christ. There are all types of people in churches. Oh, sure, I show up and hear the preaching, uh, but uh, follow after God, that's too much. Oh, sure, I'll show up to church every now and again because it makes me feel good, because I like the messages, but to read my Bible during the week, that's just asking way too much. And there's people that wonder. There are people that enjoy preaching like this. They may not like the invitation, but they enjoy the preaching. I've heard people come to me before that said, listen, there'd be a lot more people coming to church because they like your history, they like the science, but they hate the invitation. I've had people tell me that flat out. But the idea is not to make people wonder. It's not to entertain. This is not an entertainment. It's not a concert. It's not a play. We're here to tell you what the Bible says and encourage you to make a decision to follow after him. And here is a crowd that they saw the miracle and they wondered. They wondered. Oh, this is wonderful. I want to see another one. Entertain me some more, Jesus. Dance for me. Dance. And it has the idea that they want Jesus to show them one more thing. One more miracle. In fact, we're going to see that here in just a second. But notice in verse 15. But some of them said, he casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. We'll go back to that. Verse number 16, and others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven. So here's others. Give us another miracle, Jesus. Entertain us one more. May I ask, what more does he have to do? He was born as a miracle, born of a virgin. The Bible talks about where he was going to be born in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. It talked about when he was going to be born, the book of Daniel. It talked about the fulfillment of the prophecies, the book of Isaiah. It talked about the star. Uh, he had the star being born and everybody knew it that people came from the east and saw the miracle. He's already seen the lame walk again. He's caused the blind to see. He's raised the dead from life. What more does he have to do before they believe? And the conclusion is from here is that they didn't want to believe. They didn't want to follow him. They just wanted to see another sign. They just wanted to be entertained once again. Let me tell you that this spiritual war is not about entertainment. It is a spiritual war. And there are real casualties. And you must join a side because there is no such thing as a spectator in this. There is clear battle lines to go. That he that is not with me is against me. Friendship, 
with the world is enmity with God. You must choose a side. And here is folks that haven't chosen a side. And by default, they've chosen the wrong side. They're in the way of what God wants to get accomplished. They're not helping with what Jesus wants to get accomplished. They're in the way. And by default, they've become the enemy. But then you had the other ones who were very much the enemy who were against God. So you had the others who were just watching and wondering. But then you had others that said, oh, you know, the reason why he's able to do these miracles is not because he's God and not because he's the Messiah, not because he's the chosen one. Let me tell you, I know how he's doing this. He's doing this by the power of Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub was considered the chief of the devils. The Beelzebub himself literally carries the idea of the Lord of the Flies. And back in the Old Testament, he became to be known one of the chief ancient wicked gods. The Lord of the Flies. Well, the Hebrew people had actually um, taken it a little bit further because flies are usually found in dumps and found inside of the, uh, the dung heaps and flies go and eat the garbage. That what they're saying is that he's the God of the garbage. When they look at Jesus, they say, he's doing this because he has the power of Beelzebub. And a snide remark, he's doing this because he has power of the guard of the garbage. That's all Jesus is. He's a charlatan. He's getting his powers from a false devil. He's not real. He's not God. Let me tell you, here's the source of his power. Because they couldn't deny he had power. But they said he got his power from a devil. He got his power from the chiefest of devils. They got the power from the God, the devil of garbage. And they're saying this is how he got his power. Verse 17. But he, Jesus, knowing their thoughts. You know, that's a powerful statement. That God knows your thoughts. You know, there's often times that we give excuse, but that's not the true reason. Well, the reason why I don't read my Bible is because I'm too busy. That's an excuse. That's not the reason. The reason is because you don't want to read your Bible. Well, the reason why I couldn't make it to church because this. No, 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 no. That's an excuse. The reason is because you didn't want to. And that we like to make excuses and they like to explain away Jesus. And if they can explain away Jesus, then that's the reason why I don't have to follow after him. But notice Jesus, knowing their heart, said, Every kingdom divideth against itself is brought into desolation. And a house divided against a house falleth. Now, with this, here he gives a logical question to kind of to go, go about this. He says, listen, I just cast out a devil, but you said that I cast out a devil through the power of a devil. That doesn't make sense. Do you know that Satan has a game plan? And do you know that Satan is very well organized? And if Satan starts trying to, in order to show off, start getting rid of the other demons, who's that hurting? Himself. If I'm going to go fight an army and I get rid of my best generals, does that help me win an army? Not at all. And he said, this doesn't even make sense. I just cast out a devil. You watched me cast out a devil. And you said I did it by the power of devils. It doesn't make any sense. Why would anybody do that? Why would someone cripple himself? I'm going to go fight. I'm going to go play a tennis tournament. And I'm going to win. But in order to win, I'm going to shoot myself in the leg. It 
doesn't work that way. He says that doesn't even make sense. Verse number 18. If Satan also divideth against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out the devils through Beelzebub. And if I through Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Now, at this time, there are Jewish people who claim to be able to cast out devils. He says, listen, if the only reason why I could cast out devils is not through the power of God, but through the power of Satan, how does, what power does your, your kids use? Right? I mean, can't, do, are we operating the same power? Is there something else that we can use? He says, therefore, they, your sons, shall be your judges. Now, that's pretty powerful. He's telling them, listen, you're not making sense. You're making excuses. It doesn't work. I'm explaining it away. Notice what else he says. But if I, with the finger of God, inside of the Bible, it mentions many of God's body parts and the power they hold. It talks about God's mighty arm and that he led Israel through his mighty arm. It talked about God's hand and that God's hand and the power it has of God's hand. But here it says that by the finger of God, if I with the finger of God, that's all it took. If I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Notice this. God has so much power in his little finger, he could destroy the power of devils. He could destroy the army of Satan's forces. That's how powerful our God is. By the way, let me remind you that it's not a duality. Satan has no power compared to God. And God is much more powerful than Satan. And that God, it just takes his finger for him to win a victory. That's nothing at all. Remember that when you were a little kid, you went to kindergarten and the kids would come back and they have the painting that they did with their finger. It's the most basic form of art. You put it in your refrigerator and think it's a Picasso or something and just celebrate it. But it's the most basic. God says, just with my finger. That's all it takes. It's no power at all. Just a finger and I could mess up all of Satan's forces. That's how powerful God is. By the way, that's the side I want to be on, the side with that much power. Notice as it goes on. But if I with a finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his place, his goods are in peace. So here, uh, here's a picture. Here's a man who has a, a palace and he, because he's rich, wants to keep all of his goods. So he puts the best security system. Let's bring it modern times. He's got the best safe. He's got, he's got uh, temperature uh, sensors. He's got um, everything. Uh, he, he's got a fortress. He's locked it down. He's put a lot of money. However, if you find someone that's stronger than he cometh upon him and overtake him, he taketh from him all his armor where he trusteth and divided his spoils. You get someone stronger and that could bypass it, what good is it? Satan could put up all the defense he wants, but God's bigger than it all. And when he comes, there's no way Satan could defend against him. God is more powerful. Now, all of this is to the backdrop of the idea is that those that are not with him have to explain away God's power. Well... The reason why I don't show up to church is because it's not that important. 
It's not that big of a deal. That all you believe is a crutch. That your religion's not real. It's not true. They have to explain it away. They have to explain away God's miracles. They have to explain away the Bible. By the way, that's what we're covering on Sunday nights of the history of the Bible. That there are people who don't believe the Bible. Do you understand that? And because they don't believe the Bible, they have to explain it away because you have to explain away the miracles. For example, inside of the Bible, it talks about that Moses, when he led the children of Israel, that he led them across the Red Sea. Well, because the scholars don't believe that miracles are happening, they said, well, what really happened is that someone messed up and they put the wrong uh, uh, noun there. And then instead of the Red Sea, it's supposed to be the Reed Sea, which is a small little marshland to the very north of Egypt. And so it's only ankle deep. And so God was able to put a little wind and it was no big deal at all to dry up that marsh. And they were able to go into dry land. And so that's how they explained away the miracle, which poses a bigger problem. How do you drown in Pharaoh's entire army in ankle deep water? But they explain away the miracles. They read the book of Isaiah and say, there's no way Isaiah can have all of this knowledge of future events. There had to be an Isaiah that came after Jesus Christ. Because no one could know all those details. By the way, Bible prophecy is not vague words. It is very detailed prophecies. In fact, in the book of Isaiah chapter 45, it talks about Cyrus the Great 150 years before he was born, it called him by name. And it talked about him drying up the Tigris River, which happened in history. And how he marched through Babylon and took it on dry ground. And how he declared uh, uh, the, the Jewish people to go back and rebuild the temple. With the time of Isaiah, the temple hadn't even been destroyed yet. But it was so specific that it talked about that it loosed the loins of kings. Meaning that the king wet his pants. Later on when you read the book of Daniel. You see the event of the handwriting on the wall. And when he saw the handwriting on the wall. The king wet his pants. And that night Cyrus took them all. That's pretty specific to say someone's going to wet their pants 150 years before they're born. And so they say, there's no way, there's no way that someone could know all that information. So there had to be seven different Isaiahs. There had to be a couple different Daniels. And they have to explain away the works of God. And try to sell people a cheap uh, substitute because they do not believe the Bible is true. They have to explain away the works of God. Jesus is explaining those that are not with me, they have to explain away God's works. They have to explain away God's power. You understand that God is starting to do things here. And it's amazing to see what God's people's lives are being changed. People are turning to God. But someone, ah, it's no big deal. That yeah, it, 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 It's just personality. It's not personality. God's doing something. He's changing lives. Many of you could say, listen, let me tell you what God's done in my life since I've been here. Let me tell you the decisions I made. Let me tell you the things that God's done. You can't explain that away except for God. But people will try. Those that are not with me, are not with him, have to explain away what God is doing. Notice there's a second thing here. <laughs> Those that are not with him, try to have reformation without regeneration. Those that are not with him, try to have reformation without 
regeneration. What do I mean by that? Notice with me, if you don't mind, verse number 24. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he, the unclean spirit, walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and finding none, he saith, I will return to my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it sweet, swept, and garnished. So here's a man that was possessed of a devil. Here's a man that had wrong things in his life, and he got rid of those things. He had reformation. He turned over a new leaf. I'm going to try to do better. I try to fix it. And so the devil is kicked out. And the devil walks around for a while and goes to the dry places and says, you know what? I'm going to go back home. Notice what the devil said at verse 24. I'm going to return to my house. I'm going back to where I live. I'm going back to what I own. That devil thinks that he owns that person. And so he comes back and finds that life that's been turned over, that looks nice, it's been swept, all the garbage is picked out, and it's been garnished. That same garnish carries the arse where our word cosmetics comes from. So he's made it look good. It looks nice in here. And so the devil says, hey man, they did some work in here, some good improvements. Hey, I think I'm going to get my friends. So notice what he does, verse 26. And he goeth and taketh to him seven more. Now there's eight of them. Seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell in. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. There are some people that says, well, I'm going to go get religion. Well, I'm going to go try out that church. Well, I'm going to try to do better. And so they try. And they clean up their life. And they fix things up. And all they do is make it a better, cleaner, happier place. For the devil to come back. And more devils to come back. And now the man's worse off than when he first started. Why? Because what he needs is not to turn over a new leaf. What he needs is not just religion. What he needs is not just a better life. What he needs is to be born again. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Ye must, you must be born again. Well, when he said that to Nicodemus in John chapter 4, Nicodemus, who was a religious ruler, he was someone who knew his Bible. Nicodemus scratched his old silver head and said, I don't get it. It's how do I climb back into mom? That doesn't make sense. And Jesus explained to him that he has to have two births. That just as real as your physical birth was, your spiritual birth is just as real. For example, if one of my kids went up to my wife and said, Mom, was I born? The first thing she would do is laugh at her and said, yes, of course you were. But mom, how do you know I was born? She goes, I was there. And she could give it a time and a place. But mom, how do you know that I'm alive right now? And she could pinch them and they could feel it, right? They could fog a mirror. There's evidence they're alive right then. But just as real as that first birth was, the second birth is just as real. And may I tell you that this doesn't mean that, well, I trusted in a prayer. I said a little prayer. I went up front to the altar. That doesn't save you. <gasps> a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. It's coming to the idea that I'm a sinner. And I've offended a holy, righteous God. And because of that, I deserve to go to hell. I'm sorry to tell you, but I must tell you the truth. Unless you believe that you deserve to hell, there's nothing to save you from. You can't just add Jesus to your life to make it better. That doesn't work. You could sweep up your life all you want. Verily, verily, ye must be born again. 
The idea that you go to church doesn't make you saved. The idea that you got baptized doesn't make you saved. It's the idea that you realize that you're a sinner and your sin has offended a holy righteous God and you deserve to be separated from Him and you deserve to go to an awful place called hell. But, here's the good news, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That God didn't want to see a single person go to that awful place called hell. So what God did is he robed himself into flesh. Came on this earth as the Lord Jesus Christ and lived the same life that you and I live. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks. Then he died on the cross to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. He was buried on a borrowed tomb and on the third day he rose again. And when he rose again the third day, it proved two things. First of all, it proved that Jesus was indeed God. Second of all, it proved that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. And now each and every person must personally accept Christ as your Savior. Let me tell you that you could say a prayer and not get saved. You must accept Christ as your Savior. You could understand you could join a church and not be saved. You must accept Christ as your Savior. You must be born again. There are so many people who get tired of their lives and they try religion. They go to a church. They show up. They may even carry a Bible. But it doesn't make them saved. Verily, verily, you must be born again. And what happens with someone who doesn't get saved but gets religion? They can clean up their life. They can make it look nice. But when it's all said and done, their life is going to be worse off than when it first started. Because it's not reformation. It's not turning over a new leaf. Verily, verily, ye must be born again. And by the way, this is the fight. This is the struggle. Because religion has sent more people to hell than any other thing. There are so many people that says, well, I go to a church and we have Jesus up on the cross and we look at him and we eat his body and we drink his blood and, and we do everything that the priest tells us to. That doesn't save you. There are so many people that says, listen, I show up to a Baptist church and I show up and then the preacher says, stand, I stand. And when the preacher says, sit, I sit. When the preacher says, sing, we sing. And we show up, what more do you want? Verily, verily, you must be born again. Religion doesn't save. Reformation doesn't save. Regeneration does. What is regeneration? Regene new life. Verily, verily, ye must be born again. As we go on, we could see that Jesus Christ, as he's dealing with this, is dealing with people who want the crowd. They want, they want the wonder. And let me tell you, they're in the way of what God wants to do. That people who, who are against him have to explain away what God is doing. Have to explain why that's not for me. Well, I don't have to get saved because. Well, I don't need to get born again because. And they have to explain away and have to explain why they don't have to obey the Bible. They have to explain away God's works. They have to explain away what God does. They have to give an excuse of why they don't have to follow after Christ. For those who are not with him... They want regeneration. I just want my life to be better. I just want my life to be fixed. But they don't get, they don't want the new life. They are not born again. And Jesus said, verily, verily, ye must be born again. It's not asking, did you fix your life? Hey, are you willing to turn over a new leaf? Are you willing to try religion? It's the idea, have you been born again? And then we see one last thing here. Those that are not with him, 
don't want to look at just Him. Those that are not with Him don't want to look at just Him. Notice what happens, verse 27. And it came to pass as Jesus, he spoke of these things, a certain woman of the company. So remember, there's a big crowd that's just watched this. And they watched this devil be cast out. And they heard the people start murmuring. Well, the only reason why he did that is because of Beelzebub. Well, he doesn't have his own power. It's some other power. And they are explaining it away. And so Jesus teaches them and teaches them that it's not religion. It's it's regeneration. It's God's power that they have to accept it. So here's a lady who tries to be spiritual. And it's always amazing to find the non-spiritual people. Every time they talk, you realize how not spiritual they are. And so she gets up with a good idea. And it came to pass as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. So here's a lady here that says, listen, we need to worship Mary. Thank you, Mary, for giving us this Jesus. And that sounds really good and it sounds really religious, but it is totally wrong. Because our eyes are, should not be on Mary. It should not be on the priest. It should not be on the preacher. It should not be on the Pope. It should not be on some religious figurehead. It should always be on Christ. It's always on Christ. Now, let's define our terms. It's very easy to say our I should be on Christ. What does that mean? I'm so thankful that Jesus defined it here. Notice with me in verse 28. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. What does it mean to follow after Christ? You follow after God's word. Here's a direct equation for those who like math. Make things simple. If you are not in your Bible daily, you are not following him. Declarative statement. He that is not with me is against me. How can I tell if I'm with him? Well, if you're not in the Bible daily, you are not following him. You said, but that's simple, but I don't like it. I know. We like to make things complicated. If you're not reading your Bible daily, you are not following him. You cannot follow God without following his word. Jesus said it right here. Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. How do we keep our eyes on him? By following the word of God. Because it's the word of God that teaches us about him. The whole book is about him. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is not a book about Moses. It's not a book about Paul. It is a book about God. And we learn about God by this book. Now some of you who are visiting, I'm so thankful that you are. I'm trying to tell you that we make things simple here. And we want you to follow after God. And it makes it simple. You cannot follow him outside of his word. You cannot follow him outside of his word. And the Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. Let me tell you, here's the direct equation. If you're not in God's word, if you're not not just simply reading it, if you're not obeying God's word, you by default are in the way of what God is trying to get accomplished. And by default, you are God's enemy. Friendship with the world is enmity with God because you're in the way. God's trying to get something accomplished and God wants to use you. But instead of you bringing people closer to God, you're scattering them further away. You understand that in the book of Acts, that the people took note that they had been with Jesus. How were they with Jesus? By being with him in his word. 
by speaking to Him in prayer. This is simple. This is the whole thing. Are you following after Him? How do I know if I'm following after Him? If you're reading His Word and obeying God's Word. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. He that is not with me is against me. And he that scattereth not, or gathereth not, scattereth. That is simple. And probably too simple than what we would like. Because you're either following God or you're not. You have to make a decision. Which side are you on? Because there's a spiritual war. Whether you realize it or not, there's a spiritual war. And you are actively present tense following after Christ. Or you're in the way and by default the enemy of God. You say, what do I do? Well, friend, first of all, do you know for sure that you're born again? I didn't say... Did you say a prayer? I didn't say, did you come to the altar? I didn't say whether you got baptized. I didn't say whether you joined a church. Has there been a time where you've been born again? And you know that God who lives inside of you has changed you. Remember, if something as big as God comes to move in something as small as my heart, there's going to be some changes. You say, what are these changes? Well, the book of 1 John speaks about them. And we could talk to you about the birthmarks of the believer. And there are five birthmarks that are found there. Listen, if you're not convicted over your sins, let me tell you, you're not saved. If you have no desire to read your Bible, you are not saved. Plain speak, but that's what the Bible says. Now, I'm trying to be a help. Because religion is blinded a lot. There's a lot of people who believe that they're saved. I'm trying to... Remove all the, the garments that keep you blind because I want you to go to heaven. I want you to see, get your, forgive, your sins forgiven. I want you to follow after Christ. I'm not against you. I'm trying to help you. But we have to go to God God's way. If you've never accepted Christ to forgive you of your sins, if you've never realized that you deserve to go to hell, then let me tell you the greatest thing that can happen today is for us to take the Bible and to show you from God's word and show you what the Bible has to say. How you could be forgiven of your sins. And how you could be born again. According to the scriptures. Now for those of you who say. I know I'm saved. Let me ask you this. Are you for him or are you against him? Well how do I know? Are you in the Bible? But preacher. Let me tell you. I could be for God and not read my Bible. Not according to the scriptures. We have to agree with what the Bible has to say. There's some of you that need to say. Listen. I just need to make a plain simple decision. That I'm going to read the Bible and obey the Bible. I'm going to find what it says and I'm going to do what it says. That's simple. God wants to use you to reach the world. And you're either helping or you're hindering. You're either for Him or you're against Him. You're either on His side or you're helping Satan. That's the plain truth. And just like Moses said... In the book of Exodus, when the Levites joined, who is on the Lord's side? You are never accidentally on the Lord's side. It is a purposeful, intentional decision. Nobody wakes up and hits the wall and goes, Look, I'm accidentally following God and I just realized it. It always comes from a personal, intentional decision. Have you ever made that specific decision to follow the Lord? Or maybe you have and you just kind of seen it drift. Maybe you need to retread yourself. 
refire yourself and say, Lord, I'm coming back and I want to be on your side and I'm standing on this side, Lord, whatever it is. God makes things simple. We make things complicated. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. What side are you on? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.